Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa buddhang damang sankang namasami Very good. <coughs> So for a change, I don't need to think about what I'm going to talk about tonight because someone gave me a suggestion to talk about what they read in the Anguttara Nikaya, the Upasama Nimitta, which is a sign, not of the monks sitting in the front over there somewhere, but the sign of stillness, peace, calm. And uh, to use that in meditation in one's life as an object of respect and reverence, because you find out whatever you start to notice and value tends to grow in your life. It's the same as that uh, talk I gave on watering flowers, paying attention to them, uh, respecting them, you find that they become uh, stronger in your life. And the whole word upasama is one of my favorite words uh, simply because you know, it is uh, just to the heart of you know, what we're doing here, of like, being a monk, being a nun, being a Buddhist. You know, it literally means like calm and peace. And you know, sometimes that, you, know, you feel what that means by your experience and sometimes the words don't give it justice. Uh, this is always the case whenever you have these um, words in Pali, you can look them up in the dictionary, you can use textual criticism to find out their meaning, but nothing gives you as much understanding of the meaning of these words used by the Buddha. When you go to those places where the Buddha described, and you actually you feel what the Buddha described, you actually to go to where that word is being a signpost is pointing to. So you're in Upasama, you feel it, it's all around you, you are Upasama. And then you can really sort of get your head around you know, what it really means and all the different permutations of these. And there's the experience, which is the best dictionary of Pali terms. And especially you know, when you're honest to that experience and you can see how it all fits together and you know, the, uh, it fits. That's what Upasama is. But it is that sort of tranquility and that peace. And the Upasama Nimitta is a sign of that stillness, a sign of that peace. So you have those signs all around you, you know, in your life. But if we don't notice those signs of peace, we only notice the signs of activity, which is the opposite. If anything, I would say like Udhacha is probably the opposite of Upasama. You know, as it's a rough opposite. There's many other opposites to that word Upasama, but Udhacha, the restlessness, the agitation, the waves, you know, on the mind, that is the the difference. And, as I mentioned in the awadas, which I gave to the nuns at Dhammasara and to the nuns at Tajawayama uh, and uh, Seri, and also that it was on a, a birthday card somebody gave me, which I received last week, belated birthday card, a nice little quote, you know, which I quite liked. It said it's from a Taoist quote, but it could be a Buddhist quote, is saying that you can never get a good reflection of your face 
uh, if you look at your image in running water. It's only when the water is perfectly still can you get an accurate image and reflection of your face. It's an old Taoist problem, uh, an old Taoist saying, but you know, it's totally exactly the same as what the Buddha said as well. You do need to be able to look into still water, the sign of stillness, to get a good reflection of the truth. And most misunderstandings in life, and from those misunderstandings, the emotional um, defilements, which keep causing us a lot of suffering in our life, all of that comes from not being able to understand things, and all that misunderstanding comes from not being still. So upasama is one of the keys you know, to the practice of liberation. And it's not only the key you know, to the uh, to the practice of liberation, it's a description of the practice of liberation. Uh, somewhere in the suttas, you know, it says, I remember the Buddha saying that this generation will never be able to understand such things as sapasankara samatha, oh, sorry, but it's the same. Samatha and upasama are pretty much synonyms. Uh, in the sense that so you can see that in the Vinaya, these this seven Adhikarana Samatha, we also use Upasama, they are calm, they get to a state of calm and peacefulness. It's a very nice, I used to use the Vinaya as my main idea, my main source of understanding Pali terms, because that was practical, that was daily life, that was real things which happened in the world rather than ideas which happened in your head. It was not metaphysical, it was down-to-earth practical use of the words. And of course that's where, you know, I got a really good meaning of Nibbana, because that's what happens when a flame goes out. So you see that so many times, you know, at Nibbutas, which is the associated past particle to the noun Nibbana, and you can actually see that this is the meaning of that word. So when you get a word in real life, and you've experienced that so many times, you know, the metaphysical meaning becomes much more accurate and clear. And it's the same with you know, uh, upasama, you know, that sort of calmness when the job is finished, when there's peace, when everything is done. <coughs> now, of course, you know, on the external level, you know that sometimes, you know, when the job is finished, you know, when your work is done, you know, can you notice the upasama nimitta. Nothing to be done. It's finished. It's gone. Now you've got a break. You've got a retreat. You've got a sort of a time off. Can you notice that upasama nimitta? Because if you don't notice it, if you don't notice a peace and respect the peace and water that peace, cultivate it, you find that it disappears so quickly and you go back into activity again. It's as if you've got the choice of doing things or just being peaceful. You know all the time I keep telling uh, you the same old uh, teachings, you know, this is a practice of doing nothing, of learning how to be still, learning how to be peaceful, and that it, how to let go. And you know how difficult that is to do nothing. It's the most difficult thing in the world, just to sit there and not interfere. And one of the ways of achieving that is actually to focus on the upasamanimita, the stillness principle. Now when you start focusing on it, like watering it, it gets stronger, you can understand it more, you get your head around it, you get familiar with it, and you can keep it there. 
Do you remember those three stages? You know, of I used it the three stages of every level of meditation. But you can apply this same three stages to so many aspects of your life. And it's the stages of when you first come across something which you haven't really seen before, you know, not experienced before, you have to go to the stage of recognition first of all. You recognize what it is. And then afterwards you become familiar with many experiences of that phenomena. And after uh, familiarity you get to the end stage which is ease, you're at ease with it. I've often said that you come to a monastery for the first time, you're not quite sure where things are, who the people are, what you're supposed to do, you'll always be tense. And you have to recognize where things are. And I'm not just recognizing where things are, and after a while, you know, become familiar with the place. And you're beginning to relax. And then you get to the place of ease. And so we do that even with the upasama nimitta, you know, to actually to see. What is this upasana? To understand what it really means. And then you start recognizing it in your daily life. There are so many moments of peace to be noticed. When you start recognizing it, you get familiar with it. Familiar with it means it's a good old friend. And lastly, you can be at ease with it. You can let it stay for a long time. The only reason the upasama, the stillness, the peace vanishes is because you disturb it, you interfere with it. The old story of Ajahn Chah, the leaves on a tree only move because of the wind, their natural state is stillness, upasama. The leaf on a tree when the wind hasn't blown for a few hours. The natural state of a lake, you know, is to be perfectly still. It's only when some duck lands in it or some... Uh, wind blows or someone throws a rock in it or something, then you get the waves. Otherwise, it's perfectly upasama, perfectly still. So upasama is a natural state of things, which is an important thing to realize. Because it's a natural state of things, you don't need to make it happen. You don't need to make upasama. Upasama is what happens when you stop making things. And the only way to continue that sort of when upasana starts to appear and to continue not interfering, which is a difficult thing to do, is actually to notice the upasana nimitta, to actually to recognize it. And recognize it so many times that when it does appear, you're so familiar with it, you can allow it to, 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 to actually to develop. And as it does develop, you get so much at ease with it that you one thing about being at ease with it, you're not afraid of it. Now with the development of the upasama nimitta, and I'm really focusing on meditation more than anything else now, with the developing of the upasama nimitta, it um, seems to be counterintuitive, you know, it seems on the surface to be illogical, but once you are still, things begin to happen. You know, you think stillness, nothing's happening, it's just boring, Just you got stuck somewhere. That is not what happens in practice. Because when you get to a state of stillness, you know, even a mild state of stillness, a mild state of upasama, that because, this old teaching, because you're not doing anything, your mindfulness starts to grow in power. And with the growth of power of mindfulness, basically your jitta becomes stronger. Then with the growth of mindfulness, you start to understand what this radiant mind means, this prabhasara jitta, because your mind becomes strong 
radiant is a very beautiful、uh, metaphor for how it feels, and it becomes very bright and joyful. You know, bright mind. You know, we're not saying that sort of, you know, it is、uh, fluorescent, but you know that sometimes that's how it appears. That's how it's perceived. But this is a great metaphor of what happens just once. You start to notice the upasama nimitta, and the sign of stillness. It starts to establish itself and develop. So it's still, but it gets more still, and deeper still, and even more still. And as it becomes more still, the problem is it becomes powerful. It becomes like a thing which is out of control, which is what it's supposed to do. You can't control this, and that is challenging your sense of self and ego. Always the one being in charge, which is one of the reasons why it's so hard to let go, because what you're letting go of is your sense of self and control and doing stuff and being in charge of things and achieving all the things which you've you've worked so hard for in life. All of that sort of rubbish stuff is not part of the meditation path. There's no achievements. It's just letting go, disappearances. There's no ego which gets any certificates or medals. The ego starts to disappear. The simile which I gave. It's just like when you really get into the sort of the deep meditations. There's no, there's no place to stick the medal. There's nothing to stick it on. There's nothing to hang it on. You know, there's so attainments just haven't got a place which they can they can stick to. And of course, you know that word—the thing not being able to stick to anything. Analia, one of the the nuns over there called Analia. It means nothing sticks to it. You can't put anything on it. Attainments, stages—it's it's these are things which are parts of nature, but not part of you. You cannot sort of tie yourself to those states. There's nothing. There's no string there to tie it to. So what actually happens is, you know, you are there. You can't control things. You know, you have to get this new idea of, of perception of it's nothing to do with you, which is one of the reasons why, in some of the interviews, I've been encouraging people to do a lot of anatasanya,、mm. which is a perception of non-self. You know, to keep on sort of banging away, reconditioning yourself, you know, self-brainwashing.、Uh, That, you know, there is no one in here. There is no one to worry about. You've got nothing to be afraid of. You've got nothing to lose. You know, who, who's going to die? There's nobody in here. There's no, nothing to lose at all. And the weird thing is that when you do center, let go of control, just things go far, far better than when you do control things. I've been noticing in my own body, and many other people have those experiences, that if you try and heal your body. Oh, it's just such a pain, and get sick here, and you have to keep going to the doctors and the dentists, and it always keeps going on. But if you just get out of the way and get into a three or four hour meditation, when you come out, you know your body feels just incredible. You know, it's just much better than going to the doctor if you can do that and get into deep meditation. I don't know why that happens, but the body just heals itself so brilliantly when you're still. This is just one example. It means you are safer than safe. Now, being safe, sitting in your hut, you know, just、uh, no cold, no viruses, you know, no dangers from anywhere, no ants, no snakes, no no psychotic kangaroos coming in to sort of、uh, kill you. None, nothing to worry about. But 
that is never as good as sitting out, you know, even in a forest, perfectly still. Then nothing harms you. It's brilliant stuff to experience. And you are fitter and healthier than ever, ever before. Which is brilliant. So this is just one of the things of fear. It's just irrational. And sometimes, you know, you're all well trained in logic and uh, in Western education. So make use of that. See the evidence you know, that you are incredibly safe when you let go. And in fact, you know, use also your faith that monks like me know what we're talking about, not just monks like me. You can read in the suttas and the Buddha, how he taught. You know, when you start to let go and you know, things start to disappear, you've got nothing to be afraid of. In fact, this is what you're supposed to be here for, to get some jhanas and get some insight, get some enlightenment, for goodness sake. Isn't that what you want? And that's what happens when you let go and stop controlling things. So teaching yourself like that overcomes this terrible sense of control, which is stopping the upasama happening and developing. So when you actually perceive the sign of uh, upasama, of stillness, and you're not afraid of it, but you respect it, and you let it be, it develops. It's like the snowball rolling downhill. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It gets deeper and deeper. And that becomes you know, one of the great sort of journeys of meditation. You, know, you, you start to notice what peace is, what stillness is. And there comes a time you feel so peaceful. You think, wow, this is just so peaceful. And then, shortly afterwards, you get even more peaceful. Wow! And then you don't say, well, if you do, you've blow, blown it. But this is, I'm just trying to sort of describe what it's like looking at these things afterwards. And then you get even more peaceful and more peaceful. And the stillness goes to depths which you know, are totally unimaginable, which you, know, you can't sort of uh, conceive of you know, from outside. A stillness beyond stillness. Oh, Okay, what does it say in Christianity? The peace which passes all understanding. You know, I don't know if they understood what they were talking about, but you know, that's you know, way beyond any understanding. It's just so incredibly still and peaceful. And with that, once you get to a certain stage of stillness and peace, you know, the fear doesn't come up anymore. You know, just that's the early stages of the stillness of upasama. You have fear. After a while, it you know, it calms everything. And your response to it is just um, disabled. You can't respond to it. Everything is far too still. And that is where you get to this you know, process, which you, know, you just can't stop. Incredible stillness. And the nice thing about stillness is always very satisfying and fulfilling. When the mind does get to a certain degree of stillness, is the sense of, I don't want anything. This is far more than good enough. It stops desire. It stops craving because craving is always a perception of not good enough. You want something more, you want something different, or you want to get rid of this. It's always a sense of lack of something. But when there's you know, even a, a, a reasonably deep degree of stillness, but nowhere near the end of it, there's that sense of lack, that sense of need is totally vanished. You can imagine just no need of anything, no wanting anything, no pressure at all going on, which means you stay there and nothing moves. 
And because nothing moves, the stillness just gets really still. And it really starts to let you notice how much agitation there is you know, in your life. You now we think that just, you know, having to do work is you know, disturbance and agitation. That's just so superficial. We think that when we sit down, you know, the, you know, the aches and the pains in the body is you know, an agitation. That's so superficial. And then we go into the deeper meditations, we're just watching our breath. Oh, it's so peaceful watching our breath. The breath is just so noisy. So it's something I said to someone at the interviews, that somebody used to tell me that, oh, it's so peaceful just to go to a beach somewhere and just sit by the beach watching the waves go in, waves go out. I remember just going to meditate by a beach several years ago, you know, because I believe that sort of uh, that myth. So, ah, oh, go and meditate by a beach. It's so noisy by a beach. The waves make a lot of noise. And my cave is much better than meditating by a beach. So, you know, you don't need to go to a resort anywhere to have a bit of peace and quiet. Come to Jana Grove. It is much better than any resort by the beach, which is so, so noisy. The crash of the waves, even on a calm day, the ripple of the waves, they never stop, they never shut up. So I prefer silent places. No water, no coming and going. No sort of animals, but perfectly still and peaceful. That's the places which are beautiful. This is where you know, you start to notice the beauty, the delight of Upasama, the Upasama Sukha. Now one of the reasons why one of the people asked me to do this, uh, to talk about Upasama, because instead of talking about delight, you know, focusing on delight in your meditation, how about focusing on this, this quality of peace and stillness, the Upasama? And it's good to do that, but it all leads to the same place. Because once you get into stillness, stillness is delicious. It's so tasty. And once you get into it, oh, I can have this all day. And once you get into the happiness, very refined but beautiful happiness, it's, it really moves. Oh, that's the wrong word, to move the mind. It grabs the mind and doesn't let it go. It just keeps it in that stillness for a long period of time. I often just, whenever I start talking about Upasama, <laughs> just recall that time years and years ago. And let's see if I can get a time on this. It was 33 years ago when I visited UK for the first time. They just purchased a Chithurst Monastery the year before. So they were still maintaining it. They didn't have any heaters. Okay, no heaters in the whole building at all. And that was one of the coldest winters, minus 26 degrees centigrade outside. And they showed me the newspapers, and being British tabloids, the headlines were, even the beer froze. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's not very good for Britain, because they like warm beer, as you probably know if you ever visited that place. And so there we go. It was really cold. Uh, but one of the nice things about being a visitor, you know, I didn't have any duties. So when everyone else was just busy doing stuff, you know, I got as many coats and 
blankets or whatever and just went out for a walk in the morning before before lunch. You know, it's, and it's very much the case of mad dogs and Englishmen go out in that sort of um, weather because it was totally freezing and snow had fallen. And you just walked out of the house into the forest, Hammer Wood it was called. And once you got into the wood, there was no movement at all. No animal was running around the forest. No bird was flying in the sky. Even the birds were huddled up under their blankets and dunas or whatever birds sleep under. But they were just totally absent. No human being was around. I could hear no cars, no aircraft. And all I could ever hear was the sound of the crunching snow under my boots. And when that stopped, because I stood still, there was no sound at all. And that was just so beautiful. That was so delightful. Even now, just recalling that, it would just you feel so satisfied, so happy, so at peace, allowing the stillness outside to sink right into you. And I've done that also in Thailand. You know, the forests were always so noisy. But you'd find caves. And I remember some cave monasteries I went into. It was just like the forest in deep winter in the northern hemisphere of Europe. You go into these deep caves and outside was the sound of the, you know, the forest and all the animals, cicadas and birds in the sky and people and humans doing their stuff. But you go in these deep caves and then there was no sound at all. Absolute stillness. Which is one of the reasons why I love caves. You know, it's the upasama is surrounding you. In my cave, you know, I stay here. You know, that unless it's a very loud noise, you can't hear anything inside. Except your own sound of breathing if you're doing something. But when I stop and sit still, you can actually, you can taste and feel the stillness all around you. That is Upasamanimita, the cause form of it. And I focus on that, I notice that, I appreciate it. So when you appreciate these things, you are watering that flower. Even just noticing it is watering it. Noticing it, appreciating it, recognizing it, becoming familiar, becoming at ease with it, and then it stays with you. And it satisfies, which means you don't need to do things, you don't need to think things. All those fantasies and plans and thinking of the past, thinking of the future, they just can't get a foothold in the mind because you're perceiving the stillness, nimitta, the upasama nimitta. It's there. And it's so delightful, so satisfying, you don't need anything else. It's just like, you know, sometimes when I see fish and chips, I don't want anything else from the table. If you've got your favorite food, sometimes that's all you want. It's the same with, even more so, you know, with Upasamanimita. It's so satisfying, you don't want anything else. Thoughts, thinking things out, memories, plans, they just all vanish. Which means that the Upasamanimita starts to develop. And it's delightful, it grabs your attention, just like that forest. And you never forget those experiences. And it's so delightful that you stay there for a long time. Whether it develops or doesn't develop, it gives you a boost of happiness and energy. And often, 
tell lay people that one of the reasons why people get upset, angry, negative is because of tiredness, physical tiredness, but even more so mental tiredness, overuse of the brain. And if you use your brain too much, you're going to get negative, grumpy, angry. You're just brain tiredness, that's all it is. And so sometimes, uh, you know, we think, oh, I'm a monk, I shouldn't get angry, I shouldn't get grumpy. But, you know, it's nothing to do with you, it's just cause and effect because you've been thinking too much, having to do too much. What happens is when you start to focus on the upasama nimitta, you give your poor mental world a rest, an rest which it needs. And I often say, it doesn't matter if you fall asleep, you know, as long as you're getting some sort of mental rest. And I'm talking about not sort of sleeping on your, your bed, but just getting dull and sloth and torpor. And that's your mind taking a nap, and it needs it. Stay in the stillness, and notice that Upasamas, um Nimitta, and you find the brain starts to energize. It starts to sort of come alive. And all those times you're grumpy and irritated, it just, they don't come up anymore. If you just had a really nice meditation, you just can't get angry, you don't get so negative. So if you have problems with negativity, grumpiness, even anger, you know, this is one of the great causes and great remedies. Meditate more. And I don't mean just the hard vipassana trying to get something, I mean develop the upasmanimita, the, the sign of stillness, of rest. And don't be afraid of the dullness, it vanishes very quickly. And you still have the stillness afterwards and the calm, and you notice that and it develops and it gives you happiness. <laughs> it gives you the piti sukha, the joy, and it gives you the energy. And it also gives you the clarity of mind. Afterwards, you know, your mindfulness is very strong. You're not so dull. You're alive. You know, sometimes, well, actually not sometimes, but all times, great meditation is far more powerful than coffee and tea. You know, very often, just, yeah, you know, I like my tea. Don't take so much coffee these days. But, you know, it takes a meditation. You get a nice meditation. Wow, that's far, far stronger, you know, than the, the strongest of coffee because you're alive, awake, and it gives you an energy which is poised, which is really useful, instead of you know, just a shaky energy of you know, too much caffeine. So that upasama hit is very beautiful. And of course I use that a lot, and that's one of the ways I can perform, you know, when I go overseas and just are really tired. And you know, especially for you know, the other monks now, you know, Ajahn Bamali going overseas a lot, you know, get that upasama nimitta going, and then it's amazing just how much power you can have when you give talks, even though you're really tired and been traveling all day. You can really do it. And it's wonderful to experience that without any effort. It just comes, because you've got the power of stillness. It's empowered your mind. It's giving it more energy. And okay, but let's go to the deeper part of the upasama. It's just when you really start to get still... I say it develops, and what do I mean by develops? Because of stillness, things vanish. That's the reason why it develops. Because nothing is moving, things disappear. And that is the most beautiful part of the, of the Upasama Nimitta. You're sitting there perfectly still, 
just enjoying the peace of this moment in your cave, in your hut, and then your body's gone. This is the result. Stillness is the cause, vanishing is the result. In Pali, that's one of the reasons, that's one of the meanings of viraga. They vanish. And then they're not there anymore. They've neuroded. Little bits, like your body has vanished. I tell you, when you get a 63 year old body, or you get some of the other old bodies in this monastery, having them vanish is just so, such a relief. There's always aches and pains, itches, and you've got to go to the toilet, there's something sort of needed to be scratched somewhere. But then you get into the meditation where the body vanishes. And there's no itches anywhere. There's no aches, no pains, and the knees aren't aching, the butt is not sort of aching, everything is just gone, it's not hot, it's not cold. You can't feel the body. There's no itch in your nose or in your throat because of hay fever season. And anyone who suffers hay fever, like I do sometimes, oh, that is such a relief. And just going into deep meditation and just having the body vanish. It's a stillness is a call for vanishing. I often said it's just, I don't know if it's mental, but certainly brain. You know, the, no, the brain is only wired to notice things which change. They're the same old sound, and after a while you can't hear it. Or that experience, I usually tell this on retreats. When I went to a Zen monastery as a young man, that was in the tradition of, uh, who was it, at Shastra Abbey. Anyway, the, that tradition. And when they told me to meditate and keep my eyes open, facing the wall. And I'd been doing the, just the watching the breath and you know the jhana sorts of stuff before. I'd never done that before, but that was the only temple close by to where I was staying. So I went there for a weekend retreat, just kept my eyes open, watching this wall, not knowing what the hell I was supposed to do. And then the wall vanished. And that was really cool. You know, how was I? Was like 20, 21 years of age, seeing the wall just vanish and disappear. I love experiences like that. I never took drugs. You didn't need to. You can just meditate and all these incredible things happen to you. And it was weird at first, but later on, you wonder why that happened. At least I wasn't afraid. I had enough confidence and faith in weirdness that I could let it happen. Let's see what happens next. This is really interesting. And then afterwards, you know, you started to contemplate what had happened. And it was because all I was doing, I was looking at a wall which was bland, which didn't change. And I wasn't watching my thoughts. I was actually, you know, looking. My mindfulness was actually on the sense of sight. You know, if a person starts thinking about, you know, the past and future planning stuff when they're doing this meditation, of course it doesn't work because they're aware of their thoughts and not aware of the wall right in front of them. Because I was aware of the wall, that's my focus of attention and it wasn't changing, it disappeared. And that's the nature of the brain. It can only see things which change. And maybe the same with the mind. But anyway, the brain does that. And so, that gave me a great understanding of the power of upasana and how it leads to the disappearance of things, just like the breath. You keep the, the mind still in this present moment. The upasana 
in time. You're just here. And yet that's what it feels still. It's the stillness, the, was it, well, I was trying to think of Kronos still. The time becomes still. And that is when time vanishes. Because you're in the present moment, you're not moving in time. And sometimes, I was meditating today and just noticed because my mind wasn't focused enough. You know, I had the perception of time, you know, seconds passing. But when you really get into this moment, so time vanishes. That disappears too. And so, first of all, you keep the mind still in this moment. And then there is no moment, there is no past, there is no future. Time is gone. That's such a wonderful sort of space to be in. Simply because, you know, time sucks. You know, you're wondering, how many more minutes have I got to sit here, listen to this? Um, where can I go back? How old am I? How young am I? How many more days have I got to live? You know, what have I got to do tomorrow? I've only got a certain amount of time and I've got to get this done. You know, so many days have gone to this range retreat, so many days left. You know, I've got to get home. I've got to, so much time to do this and do that. Time is, what is it? It's a torturer. Never lets you be free. But when time disappears, it's like you're out of that prison. Totally free of time, just being. Not going anywhere, just being. And that's what happens with the perception of stillness. Time vanishes. And what else vanishes? You all know this path, but I indulge myself because I enjoy this so much. You know, the bodies vanish, time vanishes. And because you don't do anything, you still the will. And then that vanishes too. It's not as if the, the will is there. It, like time, it's just not there anymore. It's gone. You can't do anything. There's no, all the buttons have vanished. It's not that you don't push the buttons. It's like you're in the car, driving the car, and the steering wheel just, it's not there anymore. No pedals, no buttons left. You can't do anything. It's vanished. Now that is so much bliss. That's the bliss of second jhana. You know, I would say it's always bliss when you get into these stillness states because that's what, you know, the Buddha said, first jhana, upasamasukha, the bliss of stillness. And you get into sort of the first jhana, you come out afterwards and you, you can't help but focus on the bliss and just remember it and, and, and just indulge in it, which is not a bad thing to do. And what are you indulging? This is the, the bliss of happiness. The aspect, so the bliss of stillness. That aspect, that quality of upasama, which is just so delicious. And of course, you know, you've experienced it, so you now you know exactly what it means. And it's because things have vanished. And they vanish, they become so still. And you're just so free. And one of the things which vanishes to the second jhana is all the will, all the doing. All of the ability to control has been taken away. No steering wheel, no mouse on the computer, no sort of possibility of doing anything. Now at first that might be scary to people, because now you really have lost control. 100% lost control. 
And that's so wonderful. And that's really free. And you get into those sorts of stages and afterwards, you know, you think, oh, this control business, the thing which you try and hold on to at all costs, especially when you get into deep meditation, I've got to keep control. That is the problem. That's what stops you becoming enlightened. That's what stops you being free. That what is what creates you keeping on getting reborn time and time again. Control, control, control. Wanting, wanting, wanting from the perception of self, of me. But there, all control's gone. And actually you're quite safe. It's not quite safe. You know, it can't be safer. It's not as if that, you know, things are going to be, it's dangerous. This is the most content, safe, peaceful, happy, blissful, and the nicest place you've ever, ever, ever been. So afterwards you come out and say, this control business, that is a problem. It's not the solution. All the life you've assumed, control, was the solution to things. Sometimes, yeah, you know, you've made a mistake, but it wasn't control was a problem. You thought control was being stupid. So you don't want to give up control. You just want to make control a little bit wiser, smarter. Learn the tricks. So next time you control things, you won't make mistakes. Ha, ha, ha. It does not work. All the time you're going to fail and get suffering. Is controlling is a problem. Doing is a problem. Willing is the problem. So at least you've got now to one of, I was mentioning at the beginning of this talk, Sabasankara Samatha, which is the calming, the upasama of all sankaras. And one of those sankaras is called will. Will has calmed down, settled, peace. And to get that upasama nimitta, the sankara upasama nimitta, the sign of a will which is totally settled and still and has disappeared. Now that is a very powerful, full of insight, full of peace, full of joy, nimitta to develop. Nimitta just means a sign of it. And when you get that sign of the Sankara Upasama Nimitta, so the sign of Sankara Upasama, your will calming down, disappearing, you're going to really have some fantastic times. And fantastic times full of the most powerful of insights, the sort of ones which you know, get you stream winning and everything else. When you start to experience those deep states, you understand this will is the problem, not the solution. When you see that, you know, then you can let go. Then you can actually develop the Upasama Nimitta even more powerfully. When you meditate, what do you do? Are you trying to meditate, willing it, making it happen? After you have a few of those deep experiences, you realize that is why you suffer. That's why you can't meditate. That's why you get frustrated. That's why you go, oh, it's not working. It's because you're doing it. But when you get the upasama, the Sankara Upasama Nimitta, then, whew, they can understand what the problem was. You understand where you were going wrong. You were doing it. But 
even better than that. That's only one of the sankhara. The Buddha said sabha-sankhara, samatha, the calming, the upasama-ing of all the sankharas. The body, vedana, sanya-sankhara, vinyana, all of them calming down and disappearing. That upasama-nimitta is the most powerful that is Nibbana Nimitta, the sign of cessation, of disappearance, of everything going. When it becomes still, it vanishes. The only things which are, are the things which move. When they are still, they disappear. All movement is suffering. That's why all existence is dukkha. But when they cease, Bhava Niroda, the cessation of all that being, that is Nibbana, the highest happiness. A lot of times people can't understand that. How can you be happy when there's nothing left? Oh, that's, that's idiot talk. To many it seems that way. But when you understand the Upasama Nimitta, the sign, of stillness and understanding that that sign of stillness it's not still it develops it gets more still and deeper still and every time it gets to the next level of stillness more things are shedded like the skin of a snake and the inside skin of that and the inside skin of that everything gets shed like peeling the onion you go deeper and deeper into it and of course you all know, you keep peeling the onion. When that last little layer is taken off, there's nothing left. Everything vanishes. Because only things which move are, when they're still, they disappear. Poof. Now you understand what Nibbana is. You understand why it is the highest happiness. Why it is what we're doing here to get achieve that it all starts from just noticing the stillness in the monastery and not disturbing it and delighting in stillness rather than delighting in activity activity is just something you have to do but the stillness is the reason why you're here so you find enough stillness more and more moments of stillness, more and more moments of peace. And you focus on those. You delight in them. You recognize them, become at ease with them. And then they're just there. I say, what do you do? <laughs> I've told you what you do. Absolutely nothing. You just develop the upasamanimata and just see where it takes you. And it will take you to the most incredible blisses the most weird experiences. And then when you go back and read all those suttas, and now you understand them. You've been there. You've been in jhanas. And you look at those and say, wow, yeah. And the whole thing fills out. It's like, you know, what's a good, okay, a good example of that is those magic eye pictures. I've still got one of those pictures, you know, the old Buddha picture. 
you know, you just, uh, uh, it's computer generated. You look at it and cross your eyes a bit, and then this 3D Buddha image comes out. That's sometimes what it's like. You know, you just got this flat little image, flat little postcard. That's like the suttas and the Dhamma. But then when you start to look at it with the experiences of these deep stillnesses, and then the whole thing becomes, gets a texture like 3D image. Things start to come out at you, which you can't see at first, with those magic eye pictures. And that's what it's like. You start to see really deeply into what the Buddha taught. And it always happens every time that sometimes this happens, you think, wow, that Lord Buddha was one hell of a teacher. Sometimes you just, you know, you have the experience, you think, how, the, how would I describe that? And you look at how the Buddha described it, and that was incredible. Just the words, not too many, not too, too few, the sorts of ways he put it together, similes which he gave, and you really have incredible appreciation. And your faith in the Buddha just skyrockets. And your appreciation of the Dhamma and where you, what you're doing here and why you're here, that really, really starts to take off. So this is what happens when you... Sorry, I'm indulging myself. Just, but this is what happens when you really get into the Upasama Nimitta, stillness. Stillness upon stillness, vanishing, the whole universe vanishing, disappearing, nothing left, and then nothing left in nothing. Still upon still, you're just there, just experiencing the whole journey, absolutely still. What do you do? Every time you do something, you destroy the Upasamanimata. So, see if you can develop that and have as much fun as I have just even talking about it. Thank you very much. Sa 